Mike Global IQ is 109. 100. 145. 122. 108. 132. 130. Prior to joining CNN as the network's law enforcement analyst, Josh had a distinguished career at the FBI, where among his positions, he was a supervisory special agent and served as special assistant to then-director Jim Comey, a role that allowed him to witness from the inside many of the key moments at the fine, the rocky, tumultuous relationship between President Trump and the FBI. It's great to have you in Texas. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be back home. This is where you grew up and got your undergraduate degree? Exactly, in Texas. What led you to getting an internship at the Bureau and later pursuing your career at the FBI? Well, it started in earnest on September 11, 2001. I was a college freshman one week, just about one week into my college career uh, when the 9-11 attacks had happened. And up to that point, I thought that my career be something oriented around foreign service, foreign policy, uh, maybe a diplomat in the State Department. But it was really on that day, as we all watched with horror, this attack take place in the United States that really changed things for me because I was really focused on the first responders, on the FBI agents that were trying to identify what had just happened and bring to justice anyone who may have been responsible. So that really shifted my interest. And as I learned more about the FBI and its mission, I realized that that's what I wanted to do career-wise, so oriented everything, you know, my college career around that goal. I was fortunate enough to be selected as an intern my junior year to go back to headquarters. At that point, the FBI selected one intern from each of its 56 field offices, and I was honored enough to be selected from the San Antonio Division. I was a student at UT Austin. Spent the summer, and the FBI was introduced to its mission and its people realized that that's what I wanted to do. And after graduating, I was fortunate to be hired full-time. And you probably have had more exposure to two directors than most people have at the FBI. It's been a unique experience, yeah, because once I started in the FBI, I was in a non-agent role. I was too young at that point to become an FBI agent. So I was fortunate enough to get hired and worked under Bob Mueller in the director's office, working on public affairs at the FBI. And then later in my career, after I would cycle back in a management assignment at headquarters, I was then selected as special assistant to James Comey. Obviously two now household names. Your book certainly focuses on your relationship with Director Comey, and there are two days that are particularly of of interest. The first, when you were in the car with him, his first meeting at Trump Tower with the president-elect. Tell us about what his attitude was when he got back into the car with you. That was a day that I think really marked a key point, not only for the country, but I think that that was the beginning of the end of James Comey's directorship as the FBI director. Uh, Because if you go back and look what happened, we had traveled to Trump Tower that day. This was uh, just after President-elect Trump at the time had been elected and just prior to the inauguration. Comey and the other intelligence chiefs were set to brief the incoming administration on this brazen effort by the Russians to interfere in the U.S. election. But Comey had one additional duty that day, and that was to privately brief uh, then-President-elect Donald Trump on this salacious, uh, we call now called the Steele dossier, that had been swirling in media circles and government circles in Washington was not yet public at that time. But this was a document collected by a former British spy who had 
essentially gathered information, which was raw and unvetted, uncorroborated, but indicated that the Russian Federation had some kind of compromising information on Donald Trump, both from a business perspective and then also more of a, a tawdry How did nature. the FBI get it? John McCain got a copy, right? John McCain got a copy. There were actually multiple vectors into the FBI with this document. It, it came into the Bureau because Christopher Steele himself uh, was so troubled by what he discovered. He was collecting opposition research for people again, you know, against Trump and then eventually, you know, the Democratic Party. But he was concerned with what he found and he brought that to the attention of the FBI. He eventually became concerned that the FBI wasn't moving fast enough on it. And so he actually went to a reporter. But it's really interesting. And I write about in the book that, you know, we're in this very partisan era where it's a kind of a toxic climate. But if you go back to that place in time, there were two very powerful Republicans who were also concerned with the Steele dossier. One of them, as you mentioned, the late Senator John McCain. I remember the day he came to our office carrying with him an envelope and walked down the long corridor into Comey's office to give him something that he had found, he had learned in the course of his business. He said, you know, I know enough about what this is to know that you should have it, as he described to Comey, provided that to the FBI. Secondly, uh, then Senate Intelligence Chairman Richard Burr also had gotten wind of this information and pulled Comey aside during an encounter on Capitol Hill and whispered to him, you know, there's something troubling, swirling that I want you to know about. Well, take me back to what it felt like when Director Comey got in the car after meeting with President-elect Trump. Yeah, so after briefing uh, President-elect Trump on the Steele dossier, which, by the way, you know, the president denied everything that was in there and and really was taking it head on. Uh, And to be fair, I mean, I don't think any of the tawdry details have been verified yet. So it's, you know, obviously, if you were having that information said about you, you would have a response. But what was so fascinating is what neither President Trump knew nor anyone else outside a small group of us inside the FBI is that while that meeting was underway, while the FBI director was briefing the incoming president, the FBI had under investigation four members of the Trump campaign looking into details of their relationship with Russia. And as soon as we get in the car, Comey asked me to hand him a laptop, which was certified for the transmission of top secret information he had asked me to bring along that day, which was an unusual request but he immediately began typing, memorializing his notes from that interaction with President-elect Donald Trump. He didn't say a word, he just began typing as we rolled out of the uh, Trump Tower. And that was not normal. It was, no, highly unusual. And as he said, he has never felt the need to document an exchange with the president uh, outside of, of Donald Trump. But what concerned him, and as he describes, and I interviewed him for the book, is that he was afraid that someday the president might lie about that exchange, you know, what had occurred in that meeting. But also, because at that point, the FBI did not yet know if Trump himself was somehow involved in all of this. I mean, there was still an active investigation, so he was documenting that. The world would soon learn that he had memorialized not only that meeting, but a number of other meetings and interactions with uh, Donald Trump after Comey was fired. Well, you went into great detail, and we don't have time today to go over it, but about the dinner, the infamous dinner where Director Comey thought he'd be with other people, and indeed he was just with the president at that time. In your book, you talk about how a number of institutions have lost credibility, legitimacy by the American public, and the FBI, sadly, is one of those. How much credibility has the FBI lost, say, in the last two, two and a half years? Well, that is the theme of the book, this concern that I have that others who have served in and out of government have, that if the American people actually believe this narrative that political operatives are putting forward, that this agency was corrupt or that there was some kind of deep state inside government working to undermine Trump, if they actually believe that, that will negatively impact public safety in my view because law enforcement has to be believed in order to to do its job. 
I think that there are signs that this narrative of attack, this campaign of attack against the FBI is taking root. In my book, I did a lot of research. Um, you know, I interviewed dozens of people. I wanted the book to tell the story of not just one person who lived all of this, but other people as well. Uh, but I also looked at some hard data, and actually Gallup did a survey looking back at confidence inside the FBI. And in 2014, what I was really interested in was among Republicans, so the president's base. In 2014, confidence in the FBI among Republicans was upwards of high, the high 70s, high 70 percentage. Uh, at the time of the writing, that was less than 50% of people that are Republicans that have confidence in the FBI, which tells me that the narrative is taking root and there are people that are actually starting to doubt whether Amer America's premier law enforcement agency is actually independent. So what are the consequences of this, not just for Americans, but really looking at it from an international perspective? No, it's a great question. And, you know, for Americans, as I mentioned, you know, when an FBI agent rises in a courtroom and testifies before a jury, before a judge, those people come into that courtroom with a preconceived view of what the FBI is, of who these people are. And if they think that this agent works for an agency that's corrupt, then that will likely impact their decision about whether they trust what this person is testifying to. You know, one thing that's really interesting from an international standpoint, and I have a lot of uh, experience working overseas with the FBI on one, one of our teams that was lashed up with CIA and, and the Defense Department overseas, uh, comes down to the recruitment of human sources, of informants uh, that allow you to you know, conduct terrorism investigations, to disrupt networks, to rescue kidnapped victims. I mean, I know I've been myself overseas trying to recruit people to help us solve these cases. And each one of those instances relies on trust that the source trusts that you are actually going to keep their identity secret, that you know nothing's going to happen to them. We've already seen throughout this campaign of attack, and I describe it in the book, where there's been at least one source who was already outed that had helped the FBI because of this campaign by the president's allies. We are now, as we sit here talking today, this whistleblower uh, who will probably be outed, and I think that would be a travesty if that happens, but that will reverberate. And our foreign partners as well, you know, we just heard uh, this past couple days that the attorney general is now meeting with foreign governments trying to look into the actions of the FBI. Well, well, clearly, if you were writing the book today, there'd be one or two more chapters. That's right, exactly. You also talk about the existence of a deep state, which you consider to be ludicrous. But certainly, isn't it true that the Inspector General of the Department of Justice now is looking to see what might be involved in all of this? Certainly, yeah. The, uh, the independent Inspector General is reviewing the actions of the FBI as it relates to the Russian investigation. To see if it was too politicized. Correct. And, and I think, by the way, that that is a very good thing. As I write in the book, these agencies that have this amount of power, they have to have oversight. They have to have people looking over their shoulder. So I am reserving judgment on what the independent inspector general finds. I cannot believe, knowing the people who work this investigation, knowing the people of the FBI, that the IG is going to come out and say that these people were out to get Donald Trump. When will we see this report? Well, that's a great question. We were supposed to see this report uh, two months ago, and so we keep being told it's any day now, you know, coming any day. One thing that will be interesting for your listeners to watch, and I'll be watching for as well, is if the IG comes out and says that there are no bombshells, that the FBI wasn't you know, politically trying to target Trump and bring him down at the behest of President Obama, which is what the president has said, what will be the response then from the president and his allies? I would submit they're not going to come out and say, you know what, we were wrong about the FBI. I think it's going to be a continued narrative, but the reason I wrote this book is to help the public and to help, you know, help the American people understand fact from fiction and what this agency is really like. I want to ask you about your relationship with Jim Comey, who has been described sometimes as sanctimonious mm -hmm. and pious. I don't think that's the view you have. How was he seen as a leader? 
It's a great question. And what I try to do, knowing Jim Comey, having worked up close with him, I distinguish Jim Comey the person from the actions over the last three years. Good people can debate whether his actions were correct or not as it related to the Hillary Clinton case and you know, obviously the Trump investigation. And with the IG looking into that, they'll, they'll have more data with which to form an, an opinion of Jim Comey. But I know that Jim Comey, the person, is an honorable leader. Uh, and by the way, this is backed up by data inside the FBI. Every year, their employees fill out an anonymous survey rating their leaders. That's not what I heard from the press secretary. No, that's, that's the opposite of what you heard from the press secretary. In fact, I write about that in the book where Sarah Sanders you know, said that after Comey's firing, quote unquote, countless members of the FBI reached out to her to thank her and thank the White House for firing Comey, which, by the way, she later admitted under penalty of perjury when talking with Mueller's team that that was a lie. In retrospect, does Director Comey feel that he might have done some things differently? He does. And, you know, I'm critical of him in certain aspects of the book as well. I mean, no one gets a pass here. This is, uh, again, trying to offer the public an unvarnished view of these agencies. One thing that I'm critical of him and one thing that he's since said that he would probably have done differently is finding the language to describe Secretary Clinton's behavior as related to her email server in a different way. Because if you remember what he did, he held a press conference and said that she did all these terrible things, but by the way, we're not going to recommend prosecution, which is not the way the FBI usually works or the Justice Department. You're either going to prosecute or you're not. He has said that his goal was to provide radical transparency to the American people so they understood what the FBI was doing. But I think, and I think he agrees now, that that could have been done in a way that would not have dirtied her because up. Because really, so he got in front of the Attorney General or Loretta Lynch. That's right. Do you think Bill Clinton had a strategy when he got on that plane, or was he really just trying to say hello? Because he really muddied the waters. He did. He did. And I can't imagine that he had a strategy. I mean, being a public person, you know, he doesn't go anywhere by himself. There would be witnesses to this. And the reason we know that this, this meeting occurred was because the journalists saw it. But I think, and, you know, I write about in the book as well, I think that was the reason that Comey had, I know the reason he had for holding this press conference, because he thought that was a perception issue. You had the attorney general, the nation's chief law enforcement officer, meeting on an airplane privately with the spouse of the subject of the highest profile investigation in modern FBI history, which even if they weren't talking about the case, just looks bad. And so that was a terrible decision, both for her to take the meeting, certainly for him to approach that airplane. So I'm very critical of that. But then next, the, the fact that she didn't recuse herself from the investigation after that, that she remained in the chain of command, uh, at least as Comey tells it, that was the reason why he decided to step out from the Justice Department to act independently as it related to closing that Clinton case. Well, I want to thank you so much for being with us. I thoroughly enjoyed your book. I learned a lot of things that I didn't know. And also, I think you having that seat there next to Director Comey the day he was fired really tells you a lot of a very difficult day and how things were handled. Thank you for listening to Global IQ with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. And special thanks to my producers, Kara Sheckman and Kayla Smith, and also our intern, E.J. Roram. And with that, I ask... What's your global IQ?